We're going to be back in the book of Revelation this morning, Revelation chapter 11. We have reached the halfway point. We, take, we took a couple of weeks off as Easter was here to reflect on Jesus and what He did, and uh, we are uh, going to be digging back into the book of Revelation again this morning. We'll, Lord willing, we'll try to get through the first 14 verses today. This text is a little easier than the last couple we've read. We, we read some kind of gnarly stuff the last couple of weeks, some stuff that's kind of hard for us to wrap our head around. And uh, God never intends for His Word uh, to be confusing, but there are just some things that, that we uh, don't understand. And so we continue to seek God's Word. And we, while we may not understand all the details of the things in Revelation, we understand the main point. It's a book about Jesus Christ. And we talked about that as we, as we got into the book. And I thought it was important that we remember that as we've gotten into some kind of tough stuff where it, uh, it's about to begin to talk about these beasts and all these different uh, symbolic things that are in the book of Revelation that we uh, remember that even though we may not understand completely all these details, we know that the point of the book of Revelation is that Jesus Christ is victorious is that Jesus Christ is returning, and that God is, is, is faithful to give people an opportunity to repent. God gives us a warning in His Word as we see in the book of Revelation, as we see uh, these people time and time again, uh, they are given opportunity and they refuse to repent of their evil ways. It says that they would rather live in their sin than repent. And turn to the Lord. And so we've talked about some heavy stuff last week, and then today we're going to get into some more uh, things that are uh, going to be coming uh, in the book of Revelation. So we will read the text, and then we will pray, and we will dig in. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1 through verse 14. Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod. With these words, go. And measure God's sanctuary and the altar, and count those who worship there. But exclude the courtyard outside the sanctuary. Don't measure it, because it is given to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for forty-two months. I will empower my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for twelve hundred and sixty days, dressed in sackcloth. They, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord, of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These men have the power to close up the sky so that it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. They also have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them, conquer them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which prophetically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And representatives from the people's tribe, languages, and nations will view their bodies for, for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put into a tomb. Those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets brought judgment to those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, so great fear fell on those who saw them. 
Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were filled, or excuse me, were killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Take note, the third woe is coming quickly. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning. I pray that you would just help us to get something out of your word today, dear Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. God, that you would speak through me, God, even in my weakness, that I wouldn't uh, detract from the power of your word, that your word would speak to us today, God, that you would receive the glory. So I pray that you would just reveal to us what your word has for us, God, that you would open our heart, that you would open our ears, that we would hear and that we would do what your word says. So I pray that you would hide me behind the cross this morning that I'd be obedient to preach your word and teach your word in a way that your people can understand, dear Lord, that would bring glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. We had read about these six trumpet judgments that had taken place a, a few chapters before, and then there was kind of a, a pause, a break in what was taking place before this seventh trumpet is about to sound coming up in the, in the next few verses. And in this break, we see, uh, we see this story unfold that we see here in uh, Revelation chapter 11. And so we saw the last time we were in Revelation chapter 11, a couple weeks ago, we see John eating the scroll, we saw this mighty angel, we talked about those things. And then right after these things happen, verse, uh, chapter 11 takes place. Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words, Go and measure God's sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there. Now, by this point, we've seen a lot of judgment, a lot of God's wrath that's being poured out. Now, we've talked in great detail about the rapture and when that may occur, whether it's before all these things happen or after. But it would appear as though, at this point in time, that there are still some Christians here, whether it's that the church has not been raptured at this point, or whether it's that there are some that had been saved at this point. These are separated from the rest of the world. John is given this uh, measuring rod to go out and to measure uh, the temple, the sanctuary, depending on your translation, and to and the altar, and to count those who worship there. Uh, the, the people of God are separated. They are measured different, and God knows every single one of them. Now, it could be that this is uh, a symbolic text, talking about a God measuring his people as a whole. It could be a literal text. We see reference to Jerusalem in this text. It could be that this is a literal event that will occur in the future in the actual earthly city of Jerusalem. And that there will be a temple there and that those people who are of God will be there. It could be that. It, while it may be literal, I believe it at least gives us a sense as Christians that we are all numbered and measured by God. God knows who we are. God keeps us separate. We are different from the rest of the world. And so God tells, uh, or John is told here to go and measure the sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there. It would appear as though that those who are in that temple, who are in that sanctuary are God's children. Now this may draw some of you back to the Old Testament. Some of you may not be familiar with the Old Testament and what it's all about, but I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it. Back in the day, uh, God is a, a perfect God and we're sinful people and God desired to be with the people, but our, our sins uh, kept in the way of that. 
So God gave some very specific instructions to build this early tabernacle and exactly how it was supposed to be. And, and the measurements and everything was exact. It was perfect because God designed it. And in the outer courtyard, there was a place that they could uh, sacrifice. There was an altar there. And then there was a, a separate building. And the front part of that building was a, was a holy place where there was an incense altar and a place where only the priest could go. And then there was the holy of holies where only the high priest could go. And it was the priest's duty to go in and make sacrifices on the altar and to go in on behalf of the people before the Lord. But it was only the priest who could go into the sanctuary, into the holy place that was set aside. The people of Israel could not go into this place. The, the, the normal common folk, they could go into the courtyard, they could go into the outer courts of the tabernacle and of the temple, but they were not allowed to go into the sanctuary, into the holy place. But the priest could. But here we see that it is God's people who John is measuring, who are in the temple, who are in the sanctuary, and they are counted. They are uh, people that God has set aside. It might draw us back to Jesus, because when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. There was a veil that separated the holy room from the holy of holies. And when Jesus Christ uh, was killed on the cross and uh, buried and resurrected, when he came back from the grave, or when he died on the cross, the, the veil was torn, and that gave us all access to the Lord. That gave us all first-hand access to God, because Jesus Christ, when we accept him, has taken our sins for us. He was our high priest who went before us, and so it gives us as Christians access to the holy place. And we are set aside. There's something different about us Christians than about the rest of the world who has not accepted Christ. And so John goes out and he measures God's sanctuary and the altar and counts those who worship there. But he is told in the next verse, but exclude the courtyard outside the sanctuary. Don't measure it because it is given to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And so uh, those who are outside of the sanctuary are not God's people. These are the wicked people. These people are coming against Jerusalem, are coming against the holy city, are coming against God's people for a period of 42 months. Now, there's much speculation. Is that a literal 42 months? Is it symbolic of just a measurement of time, a, a kind of a long period of time, but a time that will end? I don't know. I believe that it's a literal 42 months, but it could just be symbolic. It could be representative. But for a period of time, 42 months the Bible says here, that there will be those who are outside that don't get measured, that are from all nations that are coming against those who are measured, those who are God, and for 42 months they will come and they will trample the holy city. The next verse, I will empower my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,200 and 60 days dressed and cloth. Now, 1260 days is 42 months, if you say uh, 42 times 30. So that's where that number comes from. But God is sending uh, two witnesses who are going to uh, preach to the people during this time. They come dressed in sackcloth. That's a symbol of, of mourning. That's a symbol of repentance. And here is these two faithful witnesses that the text goes on to say are like olive trees and like a lamp before God. These are the ones that God sends down to begin to preach to this world, to these people outside in the courtyard, these people of every nation that are coming against God's people. I don't have a clue who these two witnesses are. There is much speculation 
of, as to who these two witnesses are. Some of you may have heard that these two witnesses, some think that they are uh, Moses and Elijah. Some think that they are Elisha and Enoch because Elisha and Enoch, we don't have uh, reference of their death in the Bible, that they went to be with the Lord without dying and that, that the Lord did that to send them back in this day. It's a good theory. It's interesting to think about. But we don't really have any biblical evidence to uh, say that that's the case. But whoever these two witnesses are, they are going to be uh, men of God who are going to come, or possibly women maybe, I don't know. But they are going to be uh, men of God who are going to come, and they are going to begin to preach during these difficult times. They are going to preach the gospel to the people. And as we go on and read the text, we see that the people don't want to hear what they have to say. Let's read a little further. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now we see, uh, we saw lampstands earlier on in the book of Revelation. Uh, we see that in the Old Testament. We see olive trees mentioned in the Old Testament. We see in Psalm 52 where David refers to himself as being like an olive tree. Now, I don't know that we really have olive trees around here. Maybe we do, and I just don't know it. But over in the land of Israel, in that part of the country, there are huge olive trees in that part of the world. It has even been said that some of them have roots that have been dated to uh, believe to be 2,000 years old. They are big, strong trees that it takes a lot to kill with a deep root system. And David says that he is like an olive tree in the Old Testament. It is something that's thriving, and that's how we as God's people should be. We should be deeply rooted in Christ. We see Paul talk to the, uh, in the book of Romans, we see Paul talk to the Gentiles saying that while they are not children of Israel, they are grafted into the olive tree. That is that Jesus is the root, and while they're not God's chosen people, like the people of Israel, like you and I, we, we are like the Gentiles, we are grafted in. Though we are not Israelite by birth, we become part of the kingdom. We are grafted into what Jesus Christ did, and He is the root. He is the one that sustains us. And so these two that are going to come, these two witnesses are going to be uh, strong. They're going to be like an olive tree. They're going to be ready to do what God has called them to do. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These men have the power to close up the sky so that, if it, so that it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. They also have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague, whatever they want. So these people are not just coming to preach, but God has given them power. He's saying, look, I want you to preach and I'm going to protect you no matter what comes your way, no matter what enemy comes against you. It says that fire will come out of their mouth and consume them. Now, I don't know if that's literal fire or not. It could be. God could do it. God could, when they open their mouth, fire could come out and devour these enemies that are coming against them. But God gives them power over everything. God gives them power to, to keep the rain from coming. He gives them all these power over plagues that they could bring on the people. So you kind of imagine that these people who are experiencing these two witness, that they are becoming angry with them. Because this is an unrepentant world. We saw just a few chapters earlier that these people refuse to repent. Even in light of all the things that had taken place, all the wrath that God had poured out upon them, these people had, had refused to repent. And here these two witnesses come, and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're preaching God's wrath. They're preaching, turn, repent of your sins. And these people are not listening to what they have to say. They don't want to hear nothing that they have to say. And after hearing it for three years, I'm sure they had had enough. 
And so these people, uh, these two witnesses were able to uh, have power over all these things that the Lord had given them power over, and they could do whatever they want. The next verse, verse 7, says, When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and conquer them and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which prophetically is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And representatives from the people, tribes, languages, and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put into the tomb. Those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets brought judgment to those who live on the earth. And so here we see these two witnesses whom God has protected for a time, but there is going to come a time in their ministry as they begin to preach that there is going to be one that comes out of the abyss. I believe this is a reference to the Antichrist. That is one who's going to come and he's going to woo everybody. Everybody's going to love this Antichrist when they come. And he is going to come and he's going to be the, finally the one uh, that kills these two witnesses. And there is going to be great celebration. You can imagine uh, the response of the people. For three years, they have been preached to by these people. They don't want to hear what they have to say. Plagues have been brought upon them. They don't want anything to do with these people. And finally, this one comes out of the abyss, this Antichrist, this one who is of Satan, comes and puts a stop to it. And all of the world rejoices. There is, there is gloating. There is celebration because the ones who had come and tormented them for so long have finally been killed. But that's not the end of the story. Read a little further. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. So great fear fell on those who saw them. Could you imagine? As people were, were gloating and passing by in the street, mocking their body, they left them out so people could see. I can imagine that, that news cameras from all over the world were watching and people with TVs and listening on the radio and seeing these witnesses whom they had hated. Uh, they had been killed. Their body was laid in the public square for everybody to see. And can you imagine the look on people's faces when three and a half days later, God breathed life back into their body? Wow. What a shocking experience that must be. And so we see that God restores these witnesses who had done His work. That even in the midst of adversity, that even though for a period God protected them, God allowed them to be killed, but it was for His glory. Because now upon their resurrection three and a half days later, we see a different response than the people had previously. So great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. We see people who did not want anything to do with God, did not want anything to do with God, met God's message or the witnesses that he sent. And now we see people through this resurrection of these two witnesses, we see a different response. We see a great fear fall on the people. We see 7,000 people who were killed. But we see some people who give glory to God. Now some would say that they weren't repenting, that they were just doing it out of fear, that they didn't have a faith in God. 
I believe that these people who gave glory to God, I believe that they realized who God were and they gave their life to Him. But what we see in this passage, uh, whether, no matter what your view of Revelation may be, some would say that all these things in, in Revelation take place in the, in the past and have already passed. I believe that these things in the book of Revelation take place in the future. I think that they are, are going to take place uh, sometime down the road. But what we see in these verses is a couple of things that we can take from them to apply to our lives. One is that God knows his people. God, there's something different about God's people. We have accepted Jesus Christ. We are separated from the rest of the world. We are not counted in there as the wicked. We are separated throughout the whole way. We see with the two witnesses, even those who are God's children, sometimes God calls us to preach to hostile people. And sometimes it may seem like we're not doing any good. Sometimes uh, we may be in prison. We see that all throughout the New Testament. We see uh, the, Jesus Christ's disciples. We see Paul. We see these who are Christians who are in prison for what they preach and what they teach. And it may very well be the case that one day that would happen to us. Right now we live in a free country, but it could one day be the case that when we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are met with much animosity. But God empowers us. And we can know that ultimately we are God's children and we will be spared. Even if our life is given like these of the two witnesses, even if we lose our life for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will be resurrected when that day comes and we will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. We are a temple of God. We see that all throughout the New Testament and that Jesus Christ indwells in us. We can have a personal relationship through Jesus Christ because of what he, do, what he did for us. We can be measured by God and be found worthy. We can be in that special group that God calls together to be his if we accept him. Or we can be in that group that is wicked, that is outside, that is not of God, that is not counted. But we have that decision to make if we are going to be part of God's people. Because as Christians, we are measured by God and we are found to be good enough because of what Jesus Christ did, not because of what we did. But for those who doesn't have, don't have Jesus Christ in their heart, they come up short of God's measurement. They come up short of being part of God's people. And praise the Lord that we can go before the Lord. Praise the Lord that we who are His children can go before Him, that we have access to Him, that God indwells in us. That God calls us to be on mission for Him. That God gives us the privilege to do His work. Praise the Lord that we have that opportunity. And we need to take heed of that opportunity. As we read through the book of Revelation and we see the things that are prophesied, the things that I believe are yet to come, maybe even in our lifetime, as we see a lost and dying world, as we see that the odds always seem against us, as these who were measured by God, those were outside trampling on the city for 42 months, it seemed like all the odds were against them. And it seems like as Christians today that the odds are ever against us. It seems like we see uh, Muslims and all these false religions uh, popping up and beginning to outnumber Christianity and begin to have their, their way in the world as though it would seem. And we as Christians are outnumbered. We see Christians who are persecuted and who are murdered all the time for taking a stand for Jesus Christ. 
But for those who stand firm in the Lord, those who have faith in Jesus Christ, we will be victorious. Even if all of the world is against us, God is on our side and God will deliver us. God lives in us through Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we've got a tough job ahead of us. We've got a world that is lost and is dying. And in many instances, wants to take our life. They want to shut us up. They don't want to have anything to do with us. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, the only thing that we can stand on, and the world doesn't want to hear that. But as Christians, that's what we are called to do. The question that you have to answer is, are you one of God's children? Are you standing on Jesus and what He's done? Are you ready if that day should come and you have to take a stand for the Lord? Are you ready to take a stand for the Lord when all adversity is against you? When the enemy is at your door? When everything is against you, are you willing and ready to trust in the Lord? Now, I don't know anybody's heart in here, but I don't know where you stand with the Lord, but I want you to stand with the Lord and not against the Lord. I want you to be one of God's children. I want you to be of God's people. I want you to be in that group that is measured by God. That group that is separated by God, not for destruction, but for His grace and for His mercy and for His forgiveness and for an eternity with Him. I want you to be in that group because that group that stands with God will be restored and redeemed. But that group that stands against God will be destroyed, as we're going to see in the chapters to come as we go through the book of Revelation. We see at the end of this uh, text that we read today that those people who were there when they saw the work of the Lord and saw these two witnesses resurrected, that they repented of their sinfulness. Or, excuse me, that they gave glory to God. I believe that they repented of their sinfulness. And that's something that each and every one of us have to do. Each and every one of us, if we want to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we must repent of our sinfulness and give glory to the Lord. I don't know if you've done that or not, but I pray that you have. And if you haven't done that, then you need to read through the book of Revelation because God's wrath is something that you don't want to experience. I can guarantee you don't want to experience the things that will come when the day comes that Jesus Christ will return to this earth. But praise the Lord that He gives us an opportunity to be spared of those things. Praise the Lord that He gives us an opportunity to receive His grace and not His wrath. Where do you stand with the Lord today? Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the two faithful witnesses, dear Lord. I pray that if the time comes in our life that uh, you call us to be a witness for you, that we would be faithful to be about your work. I pray that you would protect us, dear Lord. God, I pray that you would give us boldness in this world where uh, so many don't want to hear your good news, don't want to hear your word. I pray that you would give us boldness to continue to do your work. God, I pray that you would help us to remember as your children that we are protected, that we are victorious. It doesn't mean that we won't face difficult times and hard things in this life. But God, we know that through everything that you have set us aside, we are called holy, dear Lord, because of Jesus Christ and what he did on our behalf. And so we thank you for making us something special, dear Lord. I pray that if there is one in this room that does not know you this morning, one that has not given you the glory, one that has not repented of their sinfulness, one that has not accepted Jesus Christ and what he has done for them, that you would tug on their heart today, God, 
that they would experience your grace firsthand, God, so they would be spared from your wrath. So I pray, God, that you would just be with us as we close this service today and go with us as we leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.